This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Good evening and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show. And hello if you're listening to the show as a podcast at some other time of the day. My name is Thomas Cordwell and I am not joined by Josh Nelson, Cerise Howard or Alexandra Heller Nicholas. I've been abandoned by my co-hosts but the really excellent news is I've been joined by two very special guest hosts who you have heard before, Hayley Inch and Emma Westwood. Good evening to you both. Oh, hello. The guests take over. <laughs> this is an experiment in terror. No, I'm, it is. I'm, I'm really thrilled both of you could come on the show. It's great getting more voices in the cave and we very much enjoyed having you on previous shows. Thank you. No. It's excellent being here. Always what so stoked to be here. It's and excellent. I, I haven't been on with Hayley, so that's a bit it's exciting It's very too. exciting. It's, it's a whole, whole new, new dynamic. And we're, we're, <laughs> as you'll find on the show, I think we're supportive of new dynamics and new people filling established roles. Exactly. Ah, exactly. Do you like that? <laughs> <laughs> Segway. <laughs> well, let's talk about tonight's show. We're going to look at the Irish teenage Neuromatics in the teen film slash musical Sing Street. And we're also going to look at an absurdist comedy about friendship between a man and a farting corpse in Swiss Army Man. But first, Ghostbusters is the new film by Paul Feig, who's previously directed Bridesmaids, The Heat and Spy, as well as creating the acclaimed television show Freaks and Geeks and directing episodes of The Office, Arrested Development and Nurse Jackie, just to name a few. It is, of course, a remake, or a reboot maybe, of Ivan Reitman's 1984 classic supernatural comedy, and it similarly contains a cast of contemporary actors, mostly with backgrounds in sketch comedy. In this case, it's Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, Leslie Jones and Kate McKinnon, and let's not forget Chris Hemsworth in a key supporting role. Now, also like the original, it's about a team of discredited scientists who fight back against the ghost-threatening New York. The new Ghostbusters contains a lot of nods and tributes to the original film, but otherwise very much feels like it's doing its own thing. Now, before we go any further, I just want to say it's a really good thing that now it's 2016, we've known for a very long time that, like sequels and adaptations, there's no reason to automatically assume a remake or a reboot will be bad. We also know that to prejudge a film by its trailer is stupid because there are countless prior examples proving how foolish it is. Uh, Films in all genres with women protagonists perform well commercially and critically. And the recent success of Mad Max Fury Road and Star Wars The Force Awakens has demonstrated that including prominent women characters in franchises that were previously male-dominated strengthens the film and brings in broader audiences. So fortunately, the critical discussion leading up to the release of this new Ghostbusters film has been completely mature, rational and thoughtful. God. Not. Not. I I normally avoid talking about the greater critical discourse and things like marketing campaigns and the background behind films, but it's almost unavoidable because the the talk leading up to this film has been so ridiculous. I mean, do we want to spend too much time on that or do we just want to get into talking about the film on its own merits? I I definitely don't want to get into it because I don't think it's even a greater critical discourse. I think it's a greater discourse, as the film is at pains to point out, of idiots on the internet who no one should have ever listened to in the first place. Mm, I think exactly. it's a good point, actually. The, 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 these 
these morons say this kind of stuff and it's I know there's some kind of perverse entertainment some people have had in voicing those opinions and saying, listen to all these these very small, little, insecure men say this stuff. So um, I've just gone and done it myself. But should we just move on and say, let's forget about that and talk about the film in its own merits? Well, yes. I'd like to first point out the irony, though, that a film that is based on pure entertainment, escapism and joy has just fallen into this discourse around hatred and it's just been pure hatred and it seems like it's just contrary to what the film is all about, including the reboot. And I think the we do need to mention in a certain way because this film is very, very self-aware and it has actually incorporated a lot of the discourse around it upon the announcement of the film, the announcement of, car- of the cast in the actual screenplay and the script. Um, I think there was a great line right at the start that said, ain't no bitches going to hunt no ghosts, you know, which is it's, obviously... It's a YouTube comment too, isn't it? Yeah. They find, yeah, yeah. exactly. And... And I really like that. I really like that it was self-aware and it went. It sort of held up the finger to what everyone was doing and went, okay, we're going to work with this. We're not going to be in the bubble. We're going to work with this. And I really enjoyed how you pointed out that the original Ghostbusters was so much about joy because I cannot remember the last time I went to see a blockbuster film and just had a big grin on my face for the entire running time. I mean, this film is so much fun. Like, I'm actually going to struggle really hard to actually put my feelings for this film into words that isn't just like happy screaming and possibly some crying and then a lot of really confused feelings about Kate McKinnon. Um, (laughs) um, According to my Twitter, there are a lot of previously straight women who are now in positions of really, really questioning their own orientation. Take a number with that one, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she was new to me. I'd never seen her in anything before. I know she's a SNL regular and she does Hillary and that sort of thing. She has a great Hillary, she has a great Ellen, she does a really funny Justin Bieber. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. She also does an excellent uh, pastiche of Carol, yes, the Todd Haynes film, that oh, is really? required viewing. Required yeah. viewing. Okay, all right. I'm going to go straight home after this and uh, Google it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I found... All right, I'm going to put in something else from what you're going to say, I believe, which is I... And I feel like now that I'm, I'm going to... I feel like I'm in a position of bagging the film, but I'm not <laughs> at all. I did actually enjoy it, but it wasn't the type of film that was going to resonate with me, I think, after the screening. I liked all the... I liked all the references. I loved all the pop cultural references. There were so many in there. And we just mentioned beforehand, before we went to air, about uh, there's a massive poltergeist uh, reference that if anyone could look (laughs) out for, that would be great. Um, I didn't think that, oh, God, the comparisons, they will always come up. I didn't think it was as good as the first movie, but that's kind of the law of diminishing returns. You know, you always have that. That's what a... A sequel or a remake is always going to go in with as its Achilles heel, basically. Um, but I liked I liked it for what it was, and I think even though it wasn't a masterpiece, that doesn't matter. Not every film has to be a masterpiece. It did what its job was to do, which was to entertain and put a smile on my face, and then I could go home and sleep. <laughs> I look. I. It, it's funny how a lot of these people who have been so precious about the original Ghostbusters talk about how it's a key part of their childhood and it means so much to them. I'm one of those. I'm one of those people. I saw it as a child. 
loved it, developed a whole new appreciation for it as a teenager and then as an adult. It's a film I frequently revisit as a sort of happy place and I, I do think it's one of the all-time great modern comedies. It's one of the great 80s films. And my feeling about remakes is it's it sort of... Either it's got to be a film that was no good to begin with or, or an average film to begin with. Say, like, Ocean's Eleven. I mean, it's based on a film that wasn't exactly a masterpiece. That's a good example. Or do something significantly different with it, like a cover... You, you, all the best cover songs do something different. And so when I heard about this film, I thought, well, that's a new spin, a whole new set of characters. They're doing gender-flipping. There is so much potential for a fun new film to come out of this. So I never understood how people were against it. I guess I'm also not a misogynist psychopath, so I don't have that <laughs> mindset. I, I really hope to think I aren't. I'm not anyway. But um, so I, I was on board with this film, and I, I was really hoping it would it would do well. And I had a ball. I mean, no, it, it doesn't it doesn't touch the original, which is still a film I'm really fond of. But I had so much fun with this, and I really liked the fact that the four characters were much more of an ensemble. Like they all had more equal screen time. I mean, the first film is really Bill Murray and Co which is mm-hmm. fine, it's awesome. But but this, I really like the dynamic between the, the, these four characters, and I like the fact they weren't just mimicking the same characters from the original. There really was a whole new shtick going on. Um, and I really... Did you guys see this in 3D? No. I didn't. You, the you 3D. went for 3D. You went for 3D. Oh. oh, let me explain. The 3D's really fun. They create a false frame. So at first I thought they just hadn't masked... The, the screen properly in the cinema, which is a little distracting, but if you can get over that, there's, you know, black bars at the top and bottom of the screen. And so when some of the big special effects sequences happen, it spills out over those bars, so it looks like things like the photon lasers and the um, the, the, the projectile vomit from the ghost is coming out of the frame. That's a great That's, idea. And That's it was, really clever. Yeah, it was yeah. really exciting. And the, the yeah. first time you see that is a great big ghost vomiting ectoplasm all over one of the characters, and that just comes out right at you. And I, I think I did do a bit of a, a, a laugh and a little clap. In, in happiness <laughs> yeah. at that moment. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 quite interesting. Like I kind of like I'm I'm obviously a fan of the original Ghostbusters too, and I kind of I kind of see this new one. They, they kind of exist in parallel, you know. Like it's like a related universe thing. Um, I don't think much is going to be gained from you know minutely comparing the two. I think yeah. you know they can both exist and be highly enjoyable, and you can get different things out of each each one. I just felt. I, I just loved the opportunity to see four women comedians at the top of their game just going at it with each other with with quips and and set pieces and weirdness and you could just get the feeling that not only was you know the the, the writing and everything around the film orientated to make them look as fabulous as 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 all four of them are but they themselves look like that they were just absolutely having a dynamite time while yeah. making and I love that I love the feeling that everyone in a film is just had an absolute blast in making what in a lot of ways is a really really ridiculous crazy film and yeah I think I think all all of the performers did did an amazing job I think there's a lot of really interesting things to talk about in terms of like particularly Leslie Jones's character Patty uh, there was quite a lot of um conversations particularly before the film came out about black rep- representation when it came out that um the the other three um character uh, lead ghostbusters were doctors whereas patty is, is is a subway transit worker and all these ideas of um class and and race bringing into things you know yeah. why wasn't a patty a doctor but you know 
do we only ever get to see exceptional black characters on screen? Why can't poor black characters be on screen? And there's definitely also been some arguments around um, her representation in the film that now everyone's seen it. You know, are some of her traits a bit stereotypical or is it the fact that all of the characters are are types of a kind? And I think it'll be a a really interesting thing to work out. Like, there seems to be talk already that even though the, the box office in the US isn't quite as big as they were expecting, there's still talk of sequels flowing flowing around and stuff and i would love another chance to see these four go around again i think this universe has so much potential see a sequel in the heartbeat yeah oh i'd love it you know five don't forget chris hemsworth (gasps) kevin (laughs) (laughs) gender flip gender flip flip of the 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 receptionist who's just bloody useless but you keep them around because god they're nice to look at And what is it? An aquarium is a submarine for fish. That was a great line from uh, Chris Hemsworth. I loved it. I think I've long been a Paul Figg fan, and I think Mm. this is his tightest film. Um, I mean, I I really enjoyed his last film, Spy, and I was this sole... Spy is delightful. Well, I I was the sole (laughs) defender of that film on this show. Uh, Yeah, my co-host were not fans. I'm appalled to find this out. I'm going to have to hunt them down now. It got quite heated, but um, what I really like about him is he just... And he has, over four films now, really devoted himself to putting women front and centre in major roles. And I think where there's been some confusion is these aren't necessarily strong ideological films. It's more that we're just putting these great, talented women in roles where they shine. Mm. So, and, and I think we get that again with this, and it's, it's something I really, really appreciate, that you just see people in... You know, these women are all playing protagonists when for many, many decades they don't get to occupy these roles. And, and that's the real joy. He just It's more about having them present and active and developed characters yeah. rather yeah. than preaching. Yeah. Well, you, you notice that um, Rowan, the villain, uh, in, the, in, in the vein of being very self-aware, Rowan was really quite the misogynist. He came out with a number of lines. What was it? Something when he was occupying someone else's body at one stage, he said uh, um, oh, women late as always or, you know and he was fulfilling that cliche role, the yeah. male cliche. I, I yeah. found and the, the bitter angry nerd. The being, bitter angry you know, nerd. That's and exactly he was what he is. Yeah. 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 Feeling entitled because he couldn't get a girlfriend so he's going to spew his hate out on the rest of the world. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Ghostbusters, I think we liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. Sing Street is a new film by John Carney, former bassist for the Irish rock band The Frames and the writer-director of the Irish musical Once and the American musical Begin Again. Carney returns to his hometown of Dublin for Sing Street, which is another musical, this time set in 19... 85. Liking, I had to think about that. Liking <laughs> Carney's previous films, all the music is set within the world of the film as the protagonists are musicians. In this case, teenage boy Connor, who forms a band to impress a girl. This is very much a teen wish fulfilment film, but it doesn't shy away from more serious themes such as poverty, violence, abuse, family, breakdown, and disempowerment. The soundtrack consists of several post-punk, new wave and new romantic songs from the early 80s, I Was in Heaven. Um, Me personally, that song didn't make it. Plus (laughs) original songs designed to sound like they also came from the era. So what did we make of Sing Street, Haley and Emma? 
Who wants to leap in first? <laughs> I think I think Emma's really excited to talk about I this film. Am. I think I possibly liked it a bit less than her, so I'll let her her start oh, off. Thanks, Haley. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yes, I I came to this was my surprise of the week. Really, I um. I didn't expect much from it. and It doesn't I, look good on paper, does it? No, it looks like it could just... It could fall flat, basically. Mm. It had uh, it had to live up to a bit, uh, especially for people who have been teens and kids of the 80s, basically. Um, so I, I will confess that I actually hadn't seen once. I didn't think that was for me either, which is John Carney's breakout film. Um, so I watched it and I fell in love with it. I even shed a little tear at the end, I felt. Um, <laughs> you know, sort of tried to gulp it back. Um, so I was... I was then looking forward to seeing this, but I wasn't still wasn't expecting a lot. And I think that it was really lovely to see Carney do what he does best, which is this Irish slash music thing, but do something entirely different with it and and bring in a stronger comedic leaning with this film. Now, I, I want to say straight up, I want to get this out before the nerd herders get upset. There's a big factual error in the film that will upset people and they need to let it go and just enjoy it for what it is. And I'll, I'll point it out, which is that Duran Duran's uh, Rio is... Um, it's 1985. Mm-hmm. Duran Duran Rio is on Top of the Pops and they call it a new video where that actually came out in 1982. So just despite that, just everyone let it go and just go along so for the ride. Glad I didn't know that while watching it. There you go. Yeah, that would, so, yeah. that would have driven me crazy. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I'm going to shake it off, though. Okay. Yeah, you've got to shake it off. I, I Artistic licence. I picked it up and I talked to someone today who said that that kind of coloured the experience for them, which can happen in these sort of historical music films where everything's so close, you know, to people like Ghostbusters. So, um, but I thought that I loved the way that it had these really unique um what I could see as a continuation of what was uh, being done in Once, with the, which showed the development of a song, how people put a song together, and I really enjoyed that in Once, and they showed that here, and they kind of built on that with putting together a video clip, which was very amusing, and it's the birth of video, so they really played on that aspect and those sort of corny video cliches that were, you know, introduced in the 80s, like people with their you know, heads in empty frames and stuff like that. Cast was excellent. The brother relationship was just absolutely beautiful. It was so lovely to see a sibling unrivalry in this. Um, it was Jack Renner who played yeah. um, Brendan, his brother. He was just wonderful, so wonderful in it. And Ferdia walsh Pilo, Have I said his name right? I'm not sure. Yes. Who knows it's Irish? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. Who's very much an unknown. And he's, yes. he's, he's, he's also an actor-singer, so he does sing professionally, I believe. And he was, he was very charismatic. He was a bully character in it, but he didn't play the sad sack. He had a little bit of swag about him. And, um, and I think that anyone also... So that's been brought up in the Catholic education system will get a bit of a kick out of it. My husband very much lit up when he saw that and said, it's like St Joseph's in South Melbourne, exactly like that. I can say it because the school has closed down now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, look, can I just jump in to say I, I absolutely fell in love with this film too. And I, I was primed to do that after loving John Carney's previous films. You know, Once and uh, uh, Being Again were just really beautiful, charming films. And it's so rare to see drama 
musical romance films, just be so sincere and have so much integrity. And I think he's done it three for three. And yeah, it did help that the period is a period I, I adore musically. But I think what really, really, really won me over is the film takes the preoccupations and the lives of teenagers completely seriously and with so much respect. Um, there's a lot of joking and humour in it, but it, it's not laughing at these kids for the silly things they do. It's laughing along with them. It's celebrating teenage obsession. And there is a bit of wish fulfilment in there, but in the same way that I think John Hughes mined that so successfully when he was at his peak in, in films like The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It was a real celebration of this is what teenagers aspire to. We don't mind pushing maybe the likelihood of this ever happening a little bit to, yeah. to give us a, a genuinely fulfilling feel-good buzz, and that's what I got out of this film. Mm. Um, and the fact that it touches on some very dark issues without plummeting into too much despair or introspection or being exploitive. I mean, some very... There's a scene in this film where we find out a character has been very seriously abused and it's through one line of dialogue and a sort of knowing look that communicates an enormous amount and, and takes the issue really seriously without getting too, yeah, exploitive. I, I, I had to think twice about... Oh, God, that's what their character means when they say that. And it was quite a powerful moment. So, look, I love the music in this film. And I thought all the original music holds its own. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, at the end of the film actually has a little title card that says, For Brothers Everywhere. Yeah, Which beautiful. really reinforces the gorgeous relationship he has with his older brother. His older brother plays the role of, you know, the arsehole older brother who gives him a hard time, but also really wants him to make something out of his life. And this sort of supportive guidance his brother provides is so sweet and I, yeah, I got very choked up. I'm getting choked up now talking about it. <laughs> loved, loved, loved this film. I, I saw this at a triple R subscriber screener and the audience went nuts for us. That was a really good audience. I sat next to some guy who chewed the whole time like a cat was eating. It just had that cat eating cat food eating sound in my ear the whole time but I still, it was strange I still adored this film and the crowd went nuts to it for, for it as well so it was a really fun screening to see with a big audience It's great. Hey, your be. turn oh, you, you have some time, reservations so time, time for Debbie Downer Let's talk it out I do really want to put out for, for first and foremost I did really enjoy the vast majority of this film It's it's uh, there's a lot of charming performances particularly from, from the young kids. I think more young need to embrace Robert Smith hair and to grimly intone that they're happy sad to people <laughs> that needs to come back it's sugar and water it's really easy um, I, I also really enjoyed the music I mean that's that's really always the thing that makes John Carney film so special in that he he invests a lot of time and love into recreating you know what what music can mean to people and um, it, it's really interesting to see these kids get this band together and you know start cycling through all of the fads of the 80s and um it's it, it's really quite quite delightful a lot of the songs end up being like proper toe tappers like the big the big sequence at the end of the at that at the school dance is just like where it all becomes this fantastical um the fantasy riddle, imagining the riddle basically. of the model the riddle of the model <laughs> You'll never forget it yeah um and um yeah it's, it's 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 really fun and delightful um i must admit that there was a point about halfway through this film where i kind of got the realization of oh in this movie, music is a boys' club. It's it's it very much focuses like all of the kids involved in the band are boys, apart from the young girl Rafina, who's the, the the love interest character, and she's very much the muse. She is the riddle of the model, yeah. and. Basically, she's the one female character you spend a lot of time with um, and 
yeah, she she's this inspirational point. And when we do actually get characterization for her, it's tragic. She's the tragic muse figure. And I got a little bit... Um, I, I always hesitate to talk about representation of terms of feeling left out or excluded from a film because I think particularly as women you generally just get used to um, engaging with male characters and seeing yourself in male characters because that's generally what you get and you kind of just end up going oh no it's it's fine I can find something to engage with even though this film involves a lot of male characters and there's plenty of films that I love that is wall-to-wall testosterone and I still love them and get a lot out of them I just got to a point at this film particularly towards the end where I did feel excluded and I kind of felt shut out and I was a little bit kind of I don't know it it, it was a very strange experience and I know that you said uh, Thomas that when when it came up at the end credits the the four brothers thing really touched you for me it was kind of like that final stamp of oh this was never meant to be my fantasy this wasn't a fantasy that I was meant to be able to take part in unless you know um, I was okay to be seen as the inspiration for music rather than the source of music sort of thing. And I don't know, maybe it's because I saw it in the same week as Ghostbusters and I got all, <laughs> ladies can do all the things. I think, but, it, was um, more, I think yeah. it was more reflective of the time, mm. though, and that was probably... Uh, that was probably the reality of the time, mm. unfortunately. I mean, I was... Thirteen in 1985 and I was a bass player and I was terrified to play with the boys. Uh, the idea of, you know, an awkward 13-year-old girl, I love playing bass guitar, but I had to be better than the guys in order to, you know, uh, work in that. So I think maybe if they wanted to introduce that into it, it was going to become a whole other film. That's probably that's probably my excuse for them, whether yeah. it's... Oh, it's, it, it's one of those things where I can totally understand why the film is the way it is and I don't necessarily blame the film or want to, like, be really barnstormingly angry about it. It was just something that made me go, oh, okay, you know, I'm not going to get as fully engaged into this film as I would probably like to be and how it would probably want me to be. Like, it, it ended up keeping me a little bit at arm's length. Yeah, it's interesting, though. You notice the way they referred to the black character as well, I'd say. But there was that idea of, you know, um, Ireland, Dublin at that time, I think it was pretty much a white male group. Even within the white male group, there's that pecking order, which we had with the bully and how I think there was a beautiful line in the way that Connor dealt with him which was you only have the power to stop things but not create at one stage when he was being bullied um so yeah I think it was just more reflective of the time I get what you're saying and that can um yeah that can actually make it hard to invest in the film as a woman I guess but I just went along for the journey I was back in 1985 really I I felt the film was being just true to itself I mean there weren't actually many fully rounded characters in it of any gender the the focus was on Connor and then to a lesser degree his brother and his his love interest so I think the film was just being true to the preoccupations of these how he was 15 these this 15-year-old boy. And, and that's what I really enjoyed. It was, it was his worldview and his desires and obsessions. And, um, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I do hear what you're saying, but I think it's just not the same film. Just like We Are The Best, which was the Swedish film about the all-girl punk group, didn't include a bunch of male characters. And it shouldn't have to have done that because that wouldn't have been what the film was, was meant to be about. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely... I, I am I'm, speaking from a position of someone who's never going to ever have a problem with seeing themselves reflected in film. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, I appreciate I'm, what you're saying. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not saying that, you know, we need to cram absolutely all types of representation into every single film that we make. And I, I, and I do think, obviously, the film is telling a very, very particular story. And this is just, you know, it's it's my own personal thing of watching. Maybe the problem is I'm, I was born in 1985, so I don't actually have nostalgic memories of 1985. <gasps> oh, no, you baby. <laughs> oh. I, I do like the point you made though about the, the love interest character being the typical passive muse I think that's a good observation because that is a, a character archetype we see time and time again and it's a little bit dull and I think they do a little bit more with her than most but they started sh- sure. The, they started the band though he started the band to get she, her she still <laughs> occupies more or less that passive muse character yeah. so that's, that's a very good point three triple R Swiss Army Man is the debut feature film by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. It stars Paul Dano as a man marooned on a desert island who discovers hope and companionship when he finds a highly flatulent dead body, played by Daniel Radcliffe. The gag is that the dead body is incredibly versatile and practical, uh, not to mention it also comes back to life. Swiss Army Man begins as an absurdist, excessively abject adventure but moves towards something far more introspective and sincere, sort of. In a recent interview, Paul Dano claimed that the directors wanted to make a film that began with a fart that made you laugh and ended with a fart that made you cry. (laughs) 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 Do we we think they were successful? I feel like they got that pretty bang on. (laughs) You've really got to stop getting me on this show for films where I'm just going to sit here just like raving about them going, it was so great, I don't have words for why it was so great and because <laughs> that's not good radio um, but no I I was highly highly delighted about this film I've been in high anticipation for it since um, it played at Sundance in January I was lucky enough to go to Sundance this year for the first time and Ooh, the, lucky girl. oh I know you should do it it's oh, great frolicking we'll... in the snow running around trying to find Robert Redford um, <laughs> what did Robert Redford make of the fire <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know we don't have a quote so. Um, And when the first screening of this film, which was the film's world premiere, happened at Sundance, half of the audience walked out. And that was the massive story out of Sundance, that there was this crazy farting corpse movie that yeah. half the audience walked out of. And then, of course, everyone was trying to get into all the subsequent screenings like crazed, frenzied beasts. So <laughs> I missed out because I don't like queuing. Uh, <laughs> not great for when you go to a film festival. But um, so, yeah, I've been highly, highly anticipating this film since then. And watching it, I was just... I, I don't have the words for a movie. It, it, it really seems unfair that a movie filled with so much juvenile, ridiculous humour also comes with this massive gut punch of feelings where you walk out just going like, I need to reassess my life. Yeah. That, that was, that was the impressive part of it, I thought. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, I didn't quite know what to expect. I didn't look into this film before I saw it. I like to go into films often as a film virgin and just, you know, see what's so Yeah, I didn't know what to expect and I didn't get what I expected, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, I kind of, when it started, I thought, oh, is this a castaway for a new generation with Daniel Radcliffe as Wilson or something like that? Um, But then, and I I love the start and I love the finish. 
I found, though, that for me, it had something of the Walter Mitty's about it aesthetically for me um, and how it sort of, I guess, it delved in and out of that fantasy world and the imagination, but also aesthetically I felt like, which is what I felt with Walter Mitty as well, um, that I was like watching a, a TV commercial, like sort of a Visa card commercial or something like that, um, it had nice cinematic devices, like the way the characters started sort of singing and humming songs and that before, and then that became the incidental music. I really liked that. Loved, yeah, loved what you said about the puerile stuff when then the deep emotion, all of that, but I felt that it had, I've got to say again, Paul Dano, fantastic. What can he not do? He's just amazing. But... They just felt like this huge purple patch in the middle of the film, which is just, I zoned out. I actually zoned out. And I think that maybe if I knew where it was going, I might have, which is usually you don't want that with a film. But in this, I felt that sort of the end justified the means, but I had to go through the means to get to that end. And um, maybe if I watch it again, I'll feel differently. Uh, but, yeah, it just, I went, That's it just felt way too overindulgent and way too unhinged in the beginning, in the middle, I should say. It's a funny thing you're describing because we often talk about how much we crave for something different. Show us something we haven't seen before. We're sick of the formula. But it can be really hard when you're, Showing something that's way out of your familiarity zone of what's going to be in a film. I, and I often find rewatching, I, I enjoy films a lot more, it, especially some of the big masters. And maybe I sound like a, a Philistine, but even, you know, some of the heavier Bergman films or Tarkovsky films, I enjoy them a lot more the second time because then I'm, I know how to pace myself and I know what's happening because these are such yeah. unexpected films. Uh, but in this case, I, I, I did enjoy the, the unknown factor of it, the, the, the free fall weirdness of it. And I went in with very low expectations. My biggest, I, I, Dora fart joke. I mean, I just, it, it still is my favourite thing ever. I did until I got married. <laughs> now I'm over it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know somebody who might feel the same way, but um, <laughs> it, um, so that, that didn't scare me. What worried me about this film is I thought it was going to be all whimsical and, and twee. And because I had seen the trailers, and um, which is a pity. I think it's a better film if you haven't. But it looked like it was going to get a little bit too Michel Gondry, and, who's a director I often really like, but he gets a little bit twee and cutesy and, and you know, found object, craft, art exactly. and stuff. Exactly, yep, yep. There was a bit of this going and on. And it really did all that to a degree that normally would really annoy me and make me kind of snort derisively at hipsters but um um but i but i didn't i i was really on side with this film the entire way and the the emotional thrust of the film i found very moving because it's you know it's about this guy and i like the way the film plays it quite ambiguous about whether he's really having these experiences with the corpse whether it's in his head it's about a guy who's fairly lonely and sad working out his issues through this pretend friend. The other alarm bells that went off is I thought this film was going to get all a bit weirdly stalkerish as, as well because mm. he's obsessed with this one woman but, but I think the film also kind of explores the idea that it's an inappropriate obsession that, that the real life woman would probably feel very uncomfortable and it wasn't cool that he had gone down this obsessive 
route, and that's one of the things he explores. I, yeah, so, I, I really appreciated that in particular yeah. because I was really loving the Did film. Did you have the alarm bells and going? Yeah, and, yeah, I had alarm bells going. I was like, oh, please don't do this. I love this film so much. <laughs> do not do, do not okay the creepy stalkerish behaviour. But they're actually really, they really th- throw it home, particularly towards the end where they're just like, oh, no, this is not cute. This is not okay. You need to, as as people, particularly if you have feelings for people, you need to be able, you need to be adult enough to be able to tell them and not not behave in a way that's actually treating them as things and not a real person with feelings and experiences of their own. So yeah, so it's, it's sort of it's, it's weirdly on one hand it, it's a film about a, a single person trying to make sense of where he's fallen in the world, or you could read it as a film about a really beautiful friendship between two men. Um, and there was one point in the film I was hoping or kind of excited about: is this are they got, how far are they going to go with this? Is it going to sort of you know get get romantic? And then I sort of pulled back and said, why do we always? Cr- crave that. I mean, we, we often cringe about that in films with straight characters when they end up kissing at the end and I think because we, we just want so much we want different things from our cinema we often crave these kind of more romantic connections and I, I sort of stopped myself from wanting that and really enjoyed the fact it's a friendship. It's a friend yeah. if you want to read it that way. It's a friendship between two two men and it's a really touching uh, you know, friendship where these guys are revealing their emotions to each other in a way that maybe men don't always get to do. Yes. I would also like to point out, though, that the narrative is uh, wibbly enough that if you do want to put a queer reading to it, you can definitely do oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he well, you've got writing. You, you do have that yes. option. <laughs> <laughs> many options with this movie, many multiplicities. Yeah. I, I actually saw it at, at Cinema Nova, and uh, it was a small audience in the middle of the day, and I think that the audience... At, uh, <laughs> really reflected the the polarizing aspect of this film. Uh, you had the couple of guys up the front who applauded it at the end. There was a row in front of me of people who knew each other who were just exchanging strange glances with each other through <laughs> the whole thing. And then there was a woman behind me who was getting quite a chuckle out of it who I had a little chat to afterwards and I said, did you like it? And she had to stop for a moment and go... Yeah, I think I did. So I don't know how she'd feel about it today. Maybe she'd have a different uh, opinion, but uh, I think that really reflected the type of film it is. But yeah, I, I think it's really interesting, particularly because these young guys, the Danielses, as they as they like to be referred to, they're they're obviously young filmmakers um, in their I think like late twenties, early thirties. They've come out of um, doing music videos for for um, a lot of various bands. I do recommend looking up their demented video for um, turned down for what um which is crazy and they also have a short film I've available seen you that. have oh, that's nuts you do not forget that once that's you a, have seen it that's a hilariously inappropriate <laughs> and very funny clip <laughs> is that the one the guy, the guy just keeps humping everything and keeps humping everything and they basically fall through all these different walls in an apartment building oh, and, and, and body yeah. parts are just having minds it's of their very own funny clip. very bizarre which which Makes actually so much sense. Yeah, yeah 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 and and they also have an amazing short film that you can look up on vimeo called interact Interesting ball, which the directors themselves actually star in, and you realise, oh no, butts and farts and and feelings are very much part of their, their their kind of like vision that they have for what they make. And I'm just like you were saying earlier, Thomas. You know, you get so many complaints within film circles of, oh, we just get reboots and sequels and no new ideas and everything like that. This film is a new idea. So, and you're going to love it or you're going to hate it or you're going to come out of it going, I don't know what just happened to me for the past 90 minutes, but it's new and it's refreshing and I really, really hope these guys get a chance to make a hell of a lot more movies. 
We even mentioned all the boners. I mean, that's a big part of the film oh, too. I mean, yes, let's, we didn't let, even talk we, about we, the we, boner we, compass. <laughs> Oh, we need to leave people to discover, you know. Spoiler territory. Yeah. Just, just quickly referencing how you th- thought it resembled Castaway at the start. Yes. Did you catch the full name of Paul Dano's character? No, I Hank didn't. Hank Thompson. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. So. Delightful. Yeah. The, 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 these guys know what they're doing. I, look, I, I love this. I know it won't be for everybody, but I really hope they get to make more films because, it, yeah, it, it is great to have a, a truly original voice out there. Oh, absolutely. I, I applaud ambition. Bring it on, I say. <laughs> we have covered a lot tonight. <laughs> so much. Maybe we should just tell people to stay for the end of the credit sequence. We forgot to mention Ghostbusters. Oh, Ghostbusters, yeah. Ghostbusters definitely stay till the end. Yeah. yeah, actually, speaking of doing a queer reading on a film, <gasps> Ghostbusters is very much open to that. And I found out today it was going to be uh, explicitly queer with one of the characters, but the director has pretty much been told you can't talk about this, although he has been winking and nodding at journalists. Mm. So well, I've forgotten her name already. The, the actor we all love. Kate, Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon's Kate McKinnon is meant to be playing a, a gay character in Ghostbusters. And yes. um, I don't think there was that ambiguous, though. I think no. she was very much... I, I was saying to Emma earlier, I feel like Kate McKinnon's kind of on a Jeff Goldblum spectrum of sexuality where just like, no, everyone and everything Pan let's just sexual, do it. Pansexual. Yeah. Yeah. And I should also yeah. quickly say, if you get a chance, it's really corny to say this, but look up the clip of Leslie Jones on The View, <gasps> where she gets to tell Whoopi Goldberg how much it meant to her seeing a, a, a black female oh, comic. It, it's wonderful. Cool. Yeah. And then All Leslie right. Jones talks about how she hopes she's an inspiration for a whole new generation, oh. and you will start crying it's lovely. Oh, she's wonderful. She is wonderful. You've been listening to Plato's Cave with myself, Thomas Cordwell, with my fabulous special guest host tonight, Hayley Inch and Emma Westwood. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming and just raising the tone of discussion, I think. Thank you. With all the oh, farts and bonus. Thank you. So Loved many farts it. and bonus. Anytime. <laughs> uh, absolute pleasure having you on. I hope to see more of you. We discuss Ghostbusters. This is, this is on wide release through Sony Pictures. Sing Street is on general release through Roadshow Films. And Swiss Army Man is screening exclusively at Cinema Nova, courtesy of Madman Entertainment. Good night. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rr. Rrr.org.au